Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrance and sacrifice to God. Well, good morning. Welcome. Thank you. My name's Ray, just as Howard mentioned. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the team here, and I'm just uh, delighted and privileged to share God's word with you today. I have a question for you. How do you know how you're doing? How do you know how you're doing? How do you know that you're, you're doing well? How do you know you're not doing well? How do you know how you measure up? Are you, are you winning in life? How do you know? Well, I know football is on the mind of everyone here. Um, I, I, I don't confess to know anything about football, but in, in honor of today, today is the 4th of July, which is the American Independence Day. So any Americans, happy Independence Day. For the, for the Brits here, uh, happy Rebellion Day. Um, <laughs> Canada Day also passed by this, this week. Um, in honor of the American Independence Day, uh, perhaps an analogy from American football. Now, if you've never watched the NFL before, um, and it's your first time seeing a game, you might see the screen and just see groups of people running up against each other, and you not know what's going on. There's, there's a lot of activity, but not a lot of progression. A lot of stuff going on, a lot of replays, but you don't actually see anything that's going on unless you're, you're watching through. What you have in, in football, American football, I should you know, caveat, um, is you have two opposing teams, right? They're, they're, all, they're each trying to get to the end zone of their opponent, at the, which is the end of the field. And they're trying to move possession of, their ball, of the ball in towards that end zone. And if you've ever watched um, a, a broadcast of American football, they have these fancy lines and, and graphics on that, that tell you exactly and precisely how many yards are left before the team gets to the end zone. So at every moment in that game, if you're playing football, American football, or Canadian football, by the way, um, if you're playing that at every point in the game, you know exactly how far the end zone is, you know exactly where it is, and how, how many yards and how many, sometimes even inches, you need to maintain possession of the ball. Why do I say this? The point is this. The end zone for that team determines everything that that team does. It determines every action they take. And sometimes it goes so quickly, we don't even see it, but they have strategy and tactics and they have coaches and, and, and staff that, that feed into precisely what they need to do to get to that next step. That's um, about all I know about football, so please don't ask me anything else. Don't hold me to anything. Uh, uh, you know, European football or American football, don't ask me anything. Um, but we see a similar principle of this in our everyday life, don't we? When we're in school, we, we, we go to school and we try to master 
the material, the curriculum that's given to us. And we're given a report card or some sort of progress report. And you get to see how well you're doing against what, what, uh, what you're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to be achieving. Um, perhaps you're, you're working. In your work, in your career, you work towards objectives and goals. If you want a particular career, you want a particular role, you're going to shape everything that you do in your life the projects that you take on, the things that you do in order to get you closer to that goal. Maybe you're, you're, you're thinking of, of moving. Uh, you want to live in a better place. You have a dream home in mind. Well, that dream home will help you determine every little bit of your budget, your saving. You're going, you're not, you're going to give up the, the flat white. You're going to give up the latte in order to save enough in order to achieve your dream home. And the point is this, that end zone, that, that thing that you have in mind will, will shape every little step that you take along the way. This is what we're finding in our text today. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, he's setting out what the end zone is for us. The ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose of the Christian life. Now, this is not just a goal. It's not just a nice thing to have, a nice thing to do. This is the ultimate purpose for all Christians. In other words, as believers in Christ, this is what we all should be aiming for. This should determine everything that we do, and it shapes every step that we make. I should note here that Paul, he's primarily writing to people who are already believers and followers of Jesus. But if that's not you, if you don't count yourself a Christian here yet. You're just here, you're exploring Christianity, and you're, you're just wondering, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? There's, there's something here for you too, and I, I want you to listen in closely, because the, the question that we're exploring today is a question that, that we all need to explore, whether you believe in Jesus or not. And the question is this, what on earth am I here for? What on earth am I here for? What is the, the overriding purpose that guides my everyday living? Let's read in the passage, uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, uh, before I read this, notice that Paul gives two, two commands um, as to, to his readers. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, we, so Paul tells us that we need to be imitators of God but, and that we also need to walk in love, which we will look at in turn today. But our ultimate purpose, our ultimate purpose, the end zone of our lives is to be imitators of God. That's the first point that Paul is making here. Your ultimate purpose. Now, how do, we know, how do we know that this is our ultimate purpose? Well, we know this by looking at what God's ultimate purpose is. Throughout Ephesians, if you've, been, if you've been walking with us, Paul lays out God's ultimate plan, his plan for all of creation in chapters 1 to 3. Um, in chapter 1, we read that the end goal of God's plan is to unite all things to unite all things in him, that is Jesus, in heaven, things in heaven and things on earth. That's in 
1 verse 10. In chapter 2, that we, we learn that the surprising way that he achieves this is not through power, not through conquest, not through, not through colonization, but through the cross. And that cross creates a new community, a new community made up of people like you and I. And this new community, the church, the church becomes the vehicle through which he brings about this plan. And this church is made up of individuals. Individuals sitting here, individuals watching at home. And this church is made up of individuals who have been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. Who've been given the ability to put off the old self and put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verses 424. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at what does all this, this grand master plan mean for us on the ground? What does it mean for you and I in our everyday living? Well, it means that the new self, these people who put on the new self, they're characterized by, by certain behaviors and characteristics. They speak the truth in love, right? Remember that? They, they work honestly. They don't, they don't steal. They, their speech builds up rather than tears apart. Last week, we looked and saw that this new community, these new people are kind, they're tenderhearted, and they're forgiving. That brings us to where we are today in in, uh, chapter 5. And chapter 5 starts with that beautiful word that, that should, you know, it should light a light bulb in your head every time you come across this word in the Bible. Therefore, therefore, in light of this ultimate plan of God, in light of what he's been doing, in in light of everything that he's been been doing in Christ, God who created and formed us, who rescued us through the cross, who united us in Christ. He's given us this new community. He's given us this new self. Therefore, so what? How ought we to respond? This This is God's cosmic So what? What are you going to do about it? I've done all this. I've had this plan in place. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? Therefore, be imitators of God. Paul says we ought to imitate God. We ought to be like him. Why? Because he's our creator. He made us. And in fact, each and every one of us, no matter if you are a follower of Jesus or not, you have been created in the image of God. You have the very fingerprints of God in you, on you. You are, you are created with profound dignity and worthy of respect. You are, just by existing, just by being how you are, just by living, you are a living testament to the beautiful creativity of God and his loving provision. Do you know that? You are image bearers of God. You are created in the image of God. And how much more now if you are in Christ? If you know Jesus, if you have accepted and trusted Jesus for your salvation, because not only were you created in dignity and worth, you have been rescued and redeemed and brought close to experience God and experience his love. Friends, we were made to bear his image, to to showcase 
God's beauty, his majesty, and his glory. How are we to do this? How are we to be image bearers? You'll notice uh, immediately, if, if you're in the room and you're, you look around, even if you're at home and you're watching with someone, you look around, you notice that we're all created differently. We all look different. We come in all different shapes and sizes. We have, we have different ethnicities, different backgrounds. Uh, we have different experiences that have shaped us and formed us. We have different personalities. If you, if you follow the book, there, there's at least five different love languages that we're all supposed to have one of them as our primary. You know, we're not all meant to be photocopies. We're not meant to be copies of, of, of even God. That's not really what it means by being image bearers. We're not to be copies of each other either. There's a, there's a, there's a rich diversity in the way God has created us. But we can bear his image. We can imitate God. By, by doing what theologians call um, imitating his, what they call his communicable attributes. His communicable attributes. These are, these are attributes that we can, we can take on ourselves. Now, there's his incommunicable attributes. The, this is God's um, things that are only, only belong to God, like his omnipotence, his, his, his all-powerfulness, his omniscience, him all-knowing, and his omnipresence, where he's He's everywhere. We're not to imitate that and become little versions of, of God or, or divine beings such as that. But we are called, if we're following Ephesians, to be holy and blameless. We're to be holy and blameless. We're called to mimic. That's actually the, the, the Greek word there is the same word where we get mimic from. To mimic God's goodness, his love, his tenderheartedness in a way that we extend kindness and mercy and patience to one another. What does that look like? What does that look like on the ground? Well, we can turn to a familiar story in Luke 10:25. In this story, we find a lawyer, uh, uh, an expert in the law, trying to trap Jesus. Uh, verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to the lawyer, said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That sets up the familiar story of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you recall this story, you can, you can go and read it, but the story is about a, a Jewish man who's on the road and he gets waylaid and he gets attacked by robbers and he's beaten and he's, he's nearly dead. Passing by him are three individuals. First, there's a priest, a Levite, and finally, a Samaritan. But only the Samaritan stops and helps him. Now, of the three, the Samaritan had no reason to stop. He had every reason not to stop. But the priest and Levite, they had both a, a moral obligation and even a professional obligation. They were priests and, uh, a priest and a Levite to help a fellow brother in need. Jesus asked the lawyer, which one of these proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer answered, the one who showed mercy 
Go and do likewise. This is what it means to imitate God, to show love, to show mercy to our neighbors, to show, show his, his goodness. We imitate God in his love, his mercy, his compassion to step out and step beyond what perhaps the world says we, we ought to do, what's safe. But we're also meant to imitate God's righteousness, his holiness, his justice. In Psalm 68, we read that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is God whose, holing is dwell, uh, whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. You see, we imitate God by, by standing against injustice. We imitate God by, by defending those who are defenseless, by giving voice to those who are voiceless. This is God who is holy and just and stands up for the downtrodden. And we imitate God by doing that for each other. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what the world would be like if we could simply hold these two things in our lives with each other, both love and justice, and do it together in community? Can you imagine how the world would change if we were compassionate like the Good Samaritan, but also a defender against injustice? What would that world look like? Don't you, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever lived that? Don't you wanna be a part of that? This is what happens when we imitate God. We imitate these attributes, his goodness, his love, his justice, his righteousness, and that will pour out of us as we imitate him. Now that picture, that picture of what our world, what our, what our society, what our community could be like, that, that stirs my heart. This is what I, I, want, I want to be a part of. This is what I want all of us to be a part of, a community that goes out and lives and walks in love. And if you felt, um, if you feel that that sort of resonates with you, if you feel that that's something that you want as well, uh, let me suggest to you that perhaps that is, that is the very nature of being an image bearer of God. Your, your heart is resonating with God's heart because that's what God wants. Yeah, this, this picture of this perfect society, I mean, sometimes we'll say that this is a world in shalom, in peace. This picture is grand. It's almost utopian, and it's really great, and it might even inspire you. But Paul actually gives a very surprising reason for why we should do this, why we should imitate God. He says it's because as beloved children. We ought to be imitators of God as beloved children. Not simply because it's worth doing, not simply because it's for, for goodness sake. There's all really good reasons, but he's giving us the best reason why we ought to imitate God. And you'll see on the screen uh, soon at, on, at home that I want to illustrate this with a picture. Um, who you see on the screen, that's my, that's my uh, younger son, Emmy or Emmanuel. And I might be biased, but um, just look at the joy on his face. Just look at how happy he is. Look at the delight. And why is he so delighted? He has absolutely no reason to be delighted because his feet are in my stinky, holy, 
old shoes, my trainers. Uh, but he's like, you look at his neck and his, his cheeks. His, his whole body is almost clenched up in joy. He's like beaming with joy, beaming with delight. Why would he do that? You know, I didn't plan this picture. If you're, if you're thinking I just plopped him in my shoes and you know, told, told him, say cheese. No, he just did that because he's so happy that he's doing something that he sees his daddy doing. He's, he knows that he's beloved. He knows that he's loved and he just wants to be like me. And that brings such warmth to my heart. He's not doing it because, you know, there's, there's some grand vision that he has that the best thing in the world to do is wear oversized shoes. He's not doing it just uh, even due to the fact that he's like, oh, I am, I am this, this person's son. I have this, you know, legal and uh, definition that I am a son and I ought to do this. He, know, he does this because it's out of his sense of belovedness. He wants to be like me. And, he, and because of that joy and delight, he gets to do things that would disgust anyone else. I don't recommend anyone else stepping into my shoes. Sisters and brothers, do you know how beloved you are of God? Do you know that you're a beloved child of God? Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a former minister here at Westminster Chapel, said, the greatest desire of my life should be to show my love to him, to please him in everything. Nothing gives God greater joy than to see his children living in a manner that is worthy of him. You are God's beloved child, and belovedness, beloved, being beloved, returns love back to God, and it desires to please him. It desires to please him because we are so loved, we just want to return that love back to God. Last week, we heard uh, from Howard that, that God grieves. God grieves because he loves. And he allows what he loves to grieve him. He allows us to move him. Now, another way of looking at this um, is thinking about what does your delight reveal? What does your delight, what do you delight in? What do you, what do you get excited about? What does delight reveal about your ultimate purpose? Are you delighting in the fact that you are a beloved child of God? If you are, if you are, the next command flows from this because as we delight in that, we can walk in love. We can take loving steps. The first thing I want to draw our attention to in this, in this verse is the word walk. Now, if you've been following Ephesians with us, you've been walking with us, you'll notice that we didn't cover all of Ephesians in one or two weeks. In fact, we've, we've been here for many, many weeks over, this is the second series now. We are walking, we are taking step by step through the book of Ephesians because we're taking time to, to digest what's in there. This is what walking is, isn't it? It's, to, it's, it's a simple act of taking one foot, putting it in front of the other, and your next foot, putting it in front of the other, and doing it again, and again, and again, and again, and, and then you're walking. If you ask me, that's, you might say, sort of boring. I want to get somewhere. Sort of boring? I don't, why are we walking? Why aren't we running? 
I hope I'm not disappointing you, that the Christian life is about walking. The Christian life is about walking. Now, to be sure, there are, there are tremendous moments in the Christian life. There are mountaintop moments where you experience the, the, the undeniable presence and love of God. You, you are just overwhelmed by his love and his grace for you. Now, you might remember that when, when you first became a believer, when you first knew God, when you first encountered God. There are sprints in the Christian life, moments where, where, you just, where you're just running, you're just flying, when the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in you is empowering you to do something and breaking through with something that, that you couldn't have done before. And these are good things. I don't want to say that, th that this is not the Christian life, but there are, there are moments like this and we should ask for that because as we experience that, we get drawn into the presence of God and experience his love and grace even more. But the ordinary, the normal, the day-to-day -day Christian life is about walking, not sprinting. It's step-by-steps in the right direction, moment-by-moment -moment steps of faith and obedience. It's about developing regular everyday habits, habits that, that you're, you're, you're doing and you're not even thinking about anymore. Just like when, as you're walking, you don't even think about putting one step in front of the other. You just do it. What, how, how might this play out? Do you, do you start your day with a, a tea or a coffee? You start your day a little hit of caffeine. Everyday walking could be as simple as breathing a breath of gratitude before that first sip. What's the first thing that you fill your mind with in the morning? Everyday walking might be choosing to, to read or, or listen to the Bible, listen to a podcast or something like that, instead of frantically scanning what you missed in the few hours that you were asleep. Are you anticipating having a tough conversation with someone, some conflict that you're about to enter into? Everyday walking could be developing that habit of, of praying to God first and asking God for his wisdom and grace. Now, these are some examples, like everything, habits take time. They take time to develop and to get used to. But the point is we want to develop muscle memory. We want to develop our walking muscles so that we can do this almost without thinking. We're to walk in love, Paul says. Walk in love. Notice that he doesn't say walk quickly or walk powerfully. Um, walking is not about our our ability is not about how fast we walk, our pace. You know, each of us has different abilities, don't we? We have different capacities. Walking is more about, is less about your walking ability and more about your walking character. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns against walking uh, without character in, in a letter to the Corinthians, that, in a passage that you're, you're very familiar with probably, if you've been to any wedding. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of angel, men and angels, right? Ability, power. If I have ability, if I have power, but have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, love is an active ingredient. It has to be added to our walk to make our steps loving. One of the commentators uh, of Ephesians that we've been looking at, Richard Koken, he writes this about 
the Christian walk. Distinctive Christian living is self-sacrificial love for the salvation of others to please God. Notice that our ethic is not just the absence of wickedness, but the presence of love. Not just the rejection of impurity, but the practice of grace towards others. In other words, even if we were to flee, even though we are to flee from sin and wickedness, walking in love might mean that we're actually called to take a step in. Walking in love might mean that we're actually supposed to step in like the good Samaritan and go to where the hurt is and go to where the pain is. Go and do likewise, Jesus said. It's active. It has to be added in. It's not just passive. You don't just walk in love by just being a, a, a generally loving person. You walk in love by going and doing. Go and do likewise. Don't get me wrong. There, are, there is a call for wisdom in some of these situations. There are some situations where it's wise and prudent and loving to actually not to step in. Uh, the Apostle Paul is not saying, go and stick your head into every situation. <laughs> Don't just give your opinion to every, everything. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, uh, he, he's saying we ought to walk in love. Every, in our everyday living, it's not in our each, each action, in our everyday living, what characterizes us more? Do we, tend to, do we tend to withdraw and retreat from, from areas that are, are painful and need love and grace? Or are we, is our tendency to look for opportunities to pour in? Does your everyday walking demonstrate more pulling away or pouring in of God's love and grace? What does that mean, love? What is love? Maybe you have a few songs going through your mind. There's lots of songs that ask these questions. What is love? What is the love that we're meant to be walking in? Well, we can use love to describe activities or, or, or things. You could say things like, I love seafood, or I love to travel. Or you can talk about people. Uh, you say, I love my family, I love my community. Or, and obviously, you can talk about relationships. I'm in love. But Paul is describing a very specific love here in this passage. We are to love as God loves, making the sun shine and the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. We are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Someone can say it much better than I can, so I'm going to read a, a fairly long quote here, so bear with me. It'll be up on the screen, or be, be on the screen at home as well. Frederick Beekner, a theologian and a novelist, he shows the impact of different expressions of love. First, he says, the love for equals is a human thing. All humans do it. A friend for a friend, a brother for a brother. It's to love what is loving and lovely. And when that happens, you see people loving each other. The world smiles. It's just happy. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion. And it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail, to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love for the, of the poor for the rich, of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is the love for the enemy. 
love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. See, we walk in love to change and to transform the world. And we see this love, the love of God, the love for enemies in Christ. In Christ, we are given a model and a guide for how we are to love. And indeed, it's, he's not just the, an example. He's not just an exemplar for us to follow. He's the very power we need to actually walk in love. So far, we've seen that our ultimate purpose, our, our end zone, shapes and molds how we walk every day. Every person is an image bearer of God, and especially for Christians, our ultimate purpose is to imitate God as his beloved children. And we imitate God by walking in love, which brings us to our, our final point. Our final point is to walk in love in our greatest delight. Verse 2 says, As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If we are to walk in love, sisters and brothers, we need to understand what that means as Christ loved us. The ultimate expression of God's love for us was demonstrated through this cosmic rescue accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In short, in this short verse, actually, we find the climax the pinnacle, the turning point in all of history for God's ultimate plan for the world. Jesus, all of history before this point moves towards Jesus and the cross. And all of history from this point flows from it. To fully appreciate what these few words mean, we need to, we need to do a, a really quick flyby of, of God's plan. You see... In the beginning, starting in Genesis, God created this really good world. It was full of life. It was full of, full of uh, life and living and joy and laughter. He made two people. He made Adam and Eve, human image bearers, to share in his love and to share in his glory. But as the story goes, Adam and Eve rebelled. They said, I don't need God. And they disfigured. They, they, they changed the relationship with God by sinning against him. And because sinful humanity cannot exist in the presence of an utterly holy and perfect God, God cast them out. He left them alive, but he cast them out from his presence. He, they were cursed with the penalty of sin, uh, of death forever hanging over them. Now, every human from that point was born under that curse. They're born under that curse and cannot relate to God in the right way, cannot be reconciled to God. But in Ephesians, we read that God, being rich in mercy and abounding in love, doesn't abandon humanity. He sets into motion a plan. He made a way to atone, to pay the penalty for sin, so that living in his presence was possible. In the story of, of Moses and the exodus from, from Egypt, we see this atonement in seed form. We see it in this embryonic foreshadowing of what is to come. There, in the Passover, an unblemished, spotless lamb is killed, and its blood painted over the doorpost, so that the Spirit of God, passing judgment over the Egyptians, 
passes over and spares the life of the Israelites. This frees them from physical slavery. This frees them. But a far greater act would be needed if we are to free, if humanity is to be freed from the curse of sin. And what that lamb and that Passover lamb couldn't accomplish, Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ, the, un- the perfect, unblemished God-man, suffered like an innocent lamb the consequences of sin on our behalf. Jesus lived the life that Adam and Eve and we were meant to live in perfect communion and obedience to God. But notice what it says in Ephesians, verse 2. He loved us and he gave himself for us. Do you know that Jesus gave himself for you? It's not that he was just accomplishing some grand plan that, that, that he had to do, but he went willingly, willingly to the cross for you, for me. He doesn't just suffer because humanity and the world is sinful and broken. He goes through that because we are his beloved children. Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus was due every honor for the perfect life he lived, but instead he took on our sins and gave us his righteousness so that we could be united to him and be adopted into the household of God. Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Do you you know, do you know the lengths that God has gone in sending his beloved son so that we might be called beloved children? How deep and how wide and how, how rich and how long that love God has for us. And as you as you know this, as you realize this, as you realize how much Christ loves you and you trust in him to, to grant you your beloved status, you cannot help but overflow with loving steps towards one another. Put this another way, you, we can truly walk in love to, to the extent that we are resting and delighting in Jesus' finished work on our behalf. Resting, not striving, because it is finished. On the cross, he said it was finished. And delighting, not being indifferent, because we are so loved. This is truly, as the hymn goes, love so amazing, so divine. It's a love that seeks out, it serves, it saves, it's self-sacrificial. It's a love that changes you. It's a love that changes me. It's a love that changes the world. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I'm going to invite the team back as I, just as I wrap up here. Do you know that no other love, not the love of, of, a, of a man to his wife, not the love of a father to his child, not the love between friends. No love can demand of us our life and all. Only the love that transforms us into beloved children of God can transform us and and demand this of us. We'll take a moment now to respond in, in, in singing in worship with a hymn. Sisters and brothers, as we reflect on the words, think about how 
you can rest more. How you can rest more and fully, fully and delight more deeply in your status as beloved children of God, purchased through the cross of Jesus Christ. How can your everyday walking imitate God's love? If you're not yet a believer, it's not true that you call Christ Lord and Savior yet, but you sense a, a resonance, as we were talking about earlier, in your heart that, yes, I want to know the truth. I want to know that I am God's beloved child. I want to encourage you that as we sing this song, to let the words of the song become your own. Let it become your own. And as we finish the song, don't leave this meeting. Don't leave this meeting without telling someone else. You can do that in person. You can speak to someone beside you, or you can do that online. You can, you can ask to request prayer and speak to someone. Let's take loving steps. Let's be a people that takes loving steps in delight and joy. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you loved us with a love that reached into the heart of enemy territory. We, we were there. We were your enemies. We were rebels against you. Your love reached in. And you rescued us. You saved us. You lifted us up. You, you, you didn't just free us. You gave us status as beloved sons and daughters of yours. Part of the household of God. Lord, we rejoice, we delight in that. We're part of your family. And so as, as members of your family, we want to take those loving steps. Lord, open our eyes, we pray. Help us to see those areas where you want us to step in, to pour in love and grace, to take loving steps towards each other. Help us transform the world in your love. Change us, we pray. Change us. Fill us with your joy and delight. In Jesus' name. sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.